0: on.
1: Loris, so are you saying something? Can't hear you.
2: Episode 10, an internationally acclaimed panel of designers, award winning, um, put this together. Episode 10 of Southeast Asia Connect. And I should have learned by now how to unmute my microphone, but that's the beauty. Every episode, we're learning something new. Um, Chris, are you excited? Episode 10.
0: I can't believe that we've made it this far
2: and haven't been either turned off by the authorities or put into a jail where nobody will remember our
0: names. (laughs) Correct. So let's dive right into it.
2: Yeah. So welcome to Southeast Asia Connect, episode number 10. Um, This webinar and podcast series is for founders and investors of Southeast Asian startups connecting the Southeast Asian ecosystem to the world. The series is brought to you by Northridge Partners and Precious Communications, combining, uh, having worked together, having worked with hundreds and hundreds of founders, investors, and moved billions of dollars around for helping founders build their dreams. My name is Lars Födersch, founder of Precious Communications, and I'm the co-host, economist by study and storyteller by passion. So uh, let me introduce, I don't think he needs an introduction. Let's just hand it over to the man of disaster. No, the man of power and insights. Here's Chris Tran. Hi Chris.
0: (laughs) Thanks a lot Lars. My name is Chris Tran and I'm the head of Northridge Partners, where we are delighted to work with Southeast Asian founders to raise capital, grow their businesses and exit. And on today's topic, with unicorn breeding, unicorns in Southeast Asia. The past decade, we have basically seen Asia's startup scene take over. Led by China, we, of course, have now household publicly listed names that were previously very large unicorns in Ali and Tencent. And, of course, the hits still keep on coming. Notwithstanding, we have Byte Dance in the wings, of course, the creator and owner of, previous owner of TikTok, After India, Southeast Asia has followed up with 13 unicorns. And in fact, when you look at the data, the rate of growth in valuation of the largest startups has accelerated over the last five years. And very exciting for those that all of us that have been in the game is previously where we talk about a series A or B or even C gap, we're now well far into the age of plugging in a potential VC and PE gap which bodes well for the continuing acceleration and the continuing building of larger quality companies and the unicorn count. Today, we have Southeast Asia's largest unicorn, Grab, and Singapore's next unicorn, Ninjavan. And beyond marketing, unicorns really do matter because unicorn status provides for greater secondary sales and IPO prospects, allowing founders and investors to recoup and indeed recycle capital. Number two, unicorns have been the acquirers in Southeast Asia, indeed completing 40 acquisitions in the last four years. And unicorns have been the breeding ground of talent and capital for the next generation of startups. In this episode, we explore the current unicorn DNA. What have the technology, talent, economic and legislative tailwinds being to create this current crop, and how is that changing? What does the next crop look like? Second, to what extent do US, China, and even Indian unicorns provide models for Southeast Asia? And of course, how will unicorns exit? Forget the money, I'm so glad to have Aditi Sharma, director of Grab Ventures, Grab's venture building and venture investments arm. Additi has had various roles of tech companies, serving lots of tech clients in her storied career and where where she brings all that experience into nurturing Southeast Asia's next generation of unicorns through Grab's flagship scale-up program, Grab Ventures, Velocity and Strategic Investments, incubating them into the CVC of Grab. For Build the Dream, We have Sean Chong, the co-founder and CTO at NinjaVan. He is responsible for the digital fabric that powers NinjaVan's proprietary systems, optimizing the logistics process for NinjaVan's regional customers. Apart from overseeing NinjaVan's technology strategy, roadmap and vision, Sean drives innovation through research and development activities and leverages emerging technologies to bring the newest innovations to the logistics vertical. Last,
2: it's time for the poll. So let's see what we have today for the question. It's all about unicorns, of course. Um, so not where can you find, where in the Singapore Zoo can you find the unicorn? But when will we see the next Southeast Asian unicorn IPO? Next year, within the next one to two years or only three years or later. So how optimistic are our attendees today about when will we see the next Southeast Asian unicorn IPO. So let's see. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, that's a good mix actually. (laughs) So, Um, next year, uh, 25%, about in only in three years, 20%. So yeah, so it's, let's say in one and a half years, in the next, uh, 18 months, we shall see an IPO. So that's exciting. Uh, Chris, should, should we prompt our guests already who it's going to be? Or we keep that for later?
0: <laughs> we might keep that for later. So just simply delighted to have Adity kick off in terms of the money side of things. Adity uh, we'd like to actually begin with, you know, a bit about yourself and how did you end up with Grab and what was the main goal of setting up the investments arm um, in Grab uh, since the launch back in 2018?
3: Thanks for having me today, Chris. Uh, yeah, a bit about me. i uh, been with Grab for a little over three years now. Uh, I'm, I'm an engineer by training. Uh, did consulting for a good five years, still figuring out what's my calling in life, uh, till Grab happened. Uh, I think it's been a pretty amazing journey since, uh, a very humbling experience as well. Uh, building out the tech from what started, started out as, as ride hailing to now transforming into the everyday, everything super app. And that's where Grab Ventures comes in. Uh, so Grab Ventures was set up back in 2018 uh, it's the venture building and venture investments arm um, of Grab. Uh, the mandate really is to enable and build the next generation of tech leaders in Southeast Asia, right? And and, and how we do it, it's two ways. One, we build businesses ground up, new businesses ground up. And, and second, we also run localized startup programs in, in some of the key markets in the region to really help. Startups grow and scale. Uh, on the program side, we have Grab Velocity, which we launched uh, in 2018. It's it just concluded. Uh, it's uh, third cohort with five amazing startups. Uh, startups that join GVD are growth stage, uh, and and they do some commercial pilots with Grab, and those that become successful get long term commercial partnerships. Uh, more recently. We have also launched uh, our early stage program called Ventures Ignite in Vietnam, which is much more capability building focused, uh, where we really hope to offer the founders uh, access to grab C-level leaders, to successful founders, to even advisors and experienced mentors like yourself uh, who have deep experience in the tech ecosystem to, to build foundational capabilities and hopefully have them not make the same mistakes as we did back in our eight-year journey as Grab, right? So yeah, that's, that's the aspiration. Uh, our first cohort from Grab Ventures Ignite in Vietnam is going to graduate in a few weeks. Uh, we'll have a demo day happening in Ho Chi Minh City. So do watch out for further communication on that. So that's that's a bit of the work that Grab Ventures does. Um, I think in terms of milestones, there have been uh, some exciting mini wins, if I may, through this. Yeah. Uh, we've built a few. We've built a few new businesses. Uh, for example, Grab Wheels, uh, Grab Kitchen, and also our early gro- grocery business, which is now transformed into Grab Mart. On the on the investment side, uh, we've made a few investments in Happy Fresh, in Split, and also in Intervent. On the program side, uh, we have a nice and vibrant portfolio now of about 33 startups across the region. Uh, And and I'm very happy that quite a few of them are now long-term commercial partners of Grab. So yeah, uh, uh, a bunch of interesting stuff here and there.
0: Thank you. That's quite a few achievements and you know it's so lovely to see that clearly 2020 hasn't been an easy year but the program continues and in fact if anything seems like it's expanding and in addition you know through researching and catching up it's just wonderful to hear that uh, the participants in the program can be actually actively engaging with up to four different business segments of Grab. So it's just a wonderful uh, ability to actually uh, take so much resources and expertise and, and, and and, and really, uh, really get yourself out there. So that's been where you've been and where you are now. And we've touched upon Vietnam, which is interesting, but what excites you about, you know, maybe the next lot or the trends that you're seeing in terms of, what is going to be next? Um, We've talked about Vietnam, but what we discussed uh, in the pre-call was a little bit about the Indonesian side and particularly around the merchants. Is there a different flavor to the type of companies that you see uh, that are building and sort of, you know, the next bets in terms of what the bigger companies slash unicorns may look like?
3: Yeah, I think uh, on the Indonesia side, definitely there's an interesting part of the story. Uh, I think we're we are seeing a whole wave of SME digitization. Uh, give or take, my perspective is Southeast Asia is China 10 years back. Uh, and, and SMEs are actually not uh, online at all. Uh, I think COVID brought in something like an existential crisis for these businesses. And in a way, it also actually acted as a huge catalyst, right? for these SMEs to really come online. Uh, we see so many more of them now grab food, grab pay merchants, where they're really looking at the platform to thrive and grow their business in this new normal world. And, and, and when we saw this happening, that's when we pivoted the theme of our Grab Ventures Velocity program in Indonesia for the current batch to be much more focused on these digital opportunities for SMEs where essentially we were looking for digital solutions that can help one these businesses grow and we help them manage their operations much better wherein we brought in five amazing startups uh in the cleaning space in the low cost cost solution space uh to come on board the program do a bunch of pilots with this, uh, with the with the with the merchants that we have in our ecosystem and amazing results right uh it, Coming out of the program, if you look at the recent announcements, we have announced the Grab Mitra Seleucy merchant portal, which is a completely new initiative where we expect to create, curate not only these few GVV services, but many more of other startup services that can be offered to SMEs uh, in, the, uh, in, in, in our ecosystem. So so I think that's one piece that I'm really excited about, not only myself, I think Grab is overall quite excited about in the coming years.
0: And that's a wonderful story, isn't it? Because if we look at maybe the early 2010s, there was this whole look at the consumers and the urban and the uh, the ones that were frankly well-to-do and could afford to buy things online, etc. And when we look at the small to medium SME space, we're having a look at such a big part of the economy that finally has this opportunity or frankly being covered, being forced to take this digitization journey. So we're quite interested in that um, and, and want to explore a little bit you know if you like there was the super app around the consumer now there's discussion around the super app around the merchants and SME right and the flavor seems to be around logistics and fintech etc can you give some color around maybe what aspects of the current crop of the new DNA of larger and potential unicorns would look like um, uh, further developing this theme.
3: yeah I think uh, SME digitization uh, Otherwise, I think there are a few few elements to the unicorn DNA, uh, the future crop as well that, that we see in Southeast Asia, right? I think the fundamental of are you attacking a big problem, are you in a big market will always be the core of it. But I think if we, if we look at Southeast Asia, unicorn particularly, I think there are, there are at least two to three themes which particularly stand out. Uh, I wouldn 't say they 're different, but do stand out uh, especially for Southeast Asia uh, versus for example u s and china I think the the first part is you were already alluding to it uh, is is the is the super app or ecosystem approach I think it 's now now quite well proven that the ecosystem approach of cur- either either like offering many or curating a fewer set of services for the users in one place is 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 a model that is is working quite well for Southeast Asia users, and if you if you if you see uh, several unicorns in the region are doing that in various flavors and certain levels already. So I think that's 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 one distinct uh, DNA. Uh, I think second, from a DNA perspective, if you see there's a there's a large theme of localization. Now. Uh, I come from India, and I, I know we love to think that India is super diverse, amazing cultures, but I think my my learning has been Southeast Asia is an incredibly more diverse and complex market. And, and really, I mean, you, you do see local unicorn champions in some of the markets, but I think the regionalization, while being able to localize, is really quite important to the unicorn DNA. And... and, and and that ability to appreciate the regional complexity, uh, localize and execute that strategy well across these very diverse markets is, is, is quite important for Southeast Asia and unicorn success, right? Uh, I think same for China as well, right? China at the very least they have a unifying language, uh, so so Southeast Asia in that sense is quite diverse and distinct. I think linked to that. Uh, I also think having a very solid localized talent strategy is a a big part of the DNA or success. Uh, uh, I think building building a regional business is not only launching in Thailand, Philippines, Vietnam, but I I think the question also boils down to how do you win customer hearts in tier two, tier three markets. Very important to have local talent that can take that strategy and really implement in the markets. I think look around, all unicorns everyone has taken a different approach sometimes it is bringing in folks regionally but definitely sustainable way is finding the right local talent that can, ha- that can really help you win in those markets so i think that those those three are sort of the common dna that you see in in some of the unicorns now and i also believe in in the ones that will be there to come
0: That's really uh, useful. Thank you. So, you know, it's the super app it's being regional, but also the hyper localization. And even though we're going to switch to Sean next to talk about tech, but I'm, you know, I'm pretty confident he agrees with me. I mean, the unsung thing here is really, it still goes back to the culture and the team and all about the people that execute, right. And ability to match the product with the market. So last with that segue.
2: Over to, to, to Sean. I, I thought like Sean either, you know, was like taking mental notes. Yes, tick. Yes, tick. Yes, tick. So, you know, on the, on the way to the SUNY corn. So, um, Sean, maybe you can share, if we dial it a little bit back, um, your journey with Ninja Event from starting up to building a multi-million dollar SUNY corn, right? So, uh, what we heard with Aditi is already, okay, we have that level. No, we, it's Decadorn discussions. Um, how, did you, how did you get the journey going? Because um, you know, starting a company and bringing it to that level, uh, that needs, I don't know, what does it need? Sweat, tears, luck, support, uh, magic powers, tell us.
1: Right, yeah, sweat, tears, <laughs> a lot of blood as well. <laughs> All right, so uh, yeah, I mean, thank you everyone for this opportunity and uh, really, really nice to be on this show. Uh, so my name is Sean and I'm one of the three uh, founders of Ninja Band. So a little bit about history we actually started uh, off right here in singapore around about uh six years ago uh early 2015 um and it's actually interesting because uh, we, we came up about as uh, more of a pivot um see back then we were actually in the tailoring e-commerce business uh and you know we had faced our fair share of troubles with uh, existing uh, logistic providers so we decided to take the last mile delivery of our products uh, into our own hands, right? And uh, as guys who <laughs> really cared about uh, tech and optimization, we didn't just stop at uh, building, you know, a, a working fleet that uh, that did the job. Uh, we we wanted to optimize the cost um, of deliveries down as much as possible. But more importantly than that, we really wanted to give uh, our customer full visibility of the whole delivery process. So. Um, we, we, we did uh, spend a good uh, bit of time juggling both businesses, um, you know, uh, increasing our e-commerce sales and also uh, building out our software for uh, this logistics business. And, and you know, we, we soon realized that there was a, a serious market gap uh, when peers, um, I remember in the early days, we had uh, folks like uh, Le Bonito, um, w- good friends, uh, because we were working with them in, in, in the uh, tailoring uh, business as well. And they started asking us to help them to deliver the products right because they were facing the same issues um and um good friend of ours uh john he's one of our early uh, seed investors says that hey maybe you should really uh think about taking this to the next level and that's where, where we really decided to pivot uh and focus on, on on building a company out of logistics uh and to be really honest with you guys uh we we weren't really too interested in fashion at that time we were uh, running a fashion company, but we were going to office, to our office in slippers and, and in T-shirts, right? That's a huge joke. Um, but you know, the advantage of uh, moving into this business uh, was that we, we came into logistics having a background uh, of being on the customer side of things, right? So we were e-commerce sellers, and uh, we knew exactly what the pain points were, uh, and you know, we we thought we knew how to solve them, right? And, and that's, that's really the birth of Ninja van. So now back to the starting days, you know, the blood, the sweat, they were really painful. Um, and the truth is that people usually only see the success stories, but they don't uh, necessarily see the pain, the hardship, uh, you know, the troubles along the way. And uh, when people ask me about those good old starting days, I always tell them it's kind of like my second national service. Uh, because you know, in Singapore, uh, all of us uh, males, we are conscripted into the army for two years, right? And uh, the, the, the routine was pretty uh, monotonous and repetitive. We would uh, check into uh, the army camp on Sunday nights. We'll be in and we'll only get out on Saturday mornings, right? We we'll just have like uh, one and a half days and we have got to get back in on Sunday nights. And, and this was exactly how it was for us during the starting days. Um, and and why, why is that the case, right? Because logistics is a 24 seven business. We Uh, In the day, we would be out delivering parcels. Uh, When we came back, uh, uh, I would write code, uh, implement uh, the kind of like improvements uh, from what we learned out in the field, uh, write them in our software as improvements. And then uh, at night, we would sort out the parcels for the next day's worth of deliveries and then rinse and repeat. Right. Uh, if you guys uh, read the stories about uh, us founders sleeping in the office, it, it's it's a true story. It's not it's not fake news, right? Uh, we used to sleep uh, there because it was really optimal. Uh, we we cut down all the time needed to travel. Um, you know, even uh, meals, uh, lunch, dinners. We just actually we only had one thing on our diet, KFC, right? That was the quickest way to go. Right. So yeah, that was a blast uh, into the past six years ago. Um, was really just a dream, a hope. But yeah, here we are today uh, with 100% geographical coverage uh, of the six countries we are in, um, delivering north of about uh, 1.5 million parcels uh, every single day. Uh, and that number is continuously growing. And uh, yeah, last thanks for calling us a, a Sunicon, by the way. Uh, <laughs> um, definitely well on the way to becoming a, a unicorn soon. But you know, uh, we, we always talk about this. Uh, internally in the company, and we usually prefer the, ter- the term "rhinoceros" because uh, you know rhinos are tough. Uh, uh, they are relentless, and and, and you know what, um, unicorns don't actually exist, but yeah, rhinos do. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, uh, I I hope you guys uh, you know get, got a, a flavor of how how it was for us starting up. It was it was not an easy thing.
2: Um, before I go to the next question, because I asked other founders that if you would have known how tough it is to get where you are, would you even have, have would you have started? Oh.
1: <laughs> definitely, definitely, last. I mean, um, <laughs> we all know that you, you've got to go through a bunch of failures before you become successful. And, and, uh, it, and again, it's about being relentless, right? So nothing's going to stop us. We're just going to, we're just going to go, man.
2: So um, maybe then from the from the company perspective to your experience as a leader, how has your role and life changed? Because you started sleeping on the ground, delivering parcels, quickly doing some coding uh, for your own health and sake of sanity. I hope your life has changed.
1: Yeah, I, I think I uh, probably lost 10 years of my life uh, <laughs> being so unhealthy, eating so much KFC uh but yeah you know you know uh like i said starting up was uh like going to army again right so can i say i i no longer had a life <laughs> uh but yeah on a serious note um many things have changed uh of course uh in the early days all of us uh three founders we really hands on right uh we we did everything from sorting driving uh delivering parcels writing code um even picking up the phone and and getting scolded uh by angry customers Right. But that was important for us because um, to, we really wanted to understand the ins and out of the business uh, and not just be in that uh, ivory tower. Um, and, and actually, yeah, in, in fact, this is something that we still hold very true to our values where uh, we get all our uh, new employees who, who join in and uh, during the uh, peak periods, they get to be in the sort center. Uh, they get uh, attached to drivers because uh, we really want everyone to experience what Ninja Van really is about as a company. Right. Yeah. So, so, I mean, coming back to how life has changed, uh, obviously we are no longer living in the office. Uh, and um, one of the key things I, I, I would like to talk about in our organization is actually sustainability. Um, so three key topics to sustainability. Uh, the first one being revenue sustainability. Uh, we have operational and of course, uh, and last but not least, uh, people sustainability. Right. Uh, to be in this business for the long haul, we, we can't expect our employees to be like army conscripts or, or they will burn out. Uh, in, in any rapidly growing startup, um, you will see the organization structuring up. So we uh, early in the early days, we put a huge emphasis on talent acquisition, right? Uh, and we started up with just five of us building up that uh, MVP software. And today we are more than uh, 30,000 uh, 30, uh, employees strong. So if you look at the rate at which Uh, our business, our headcount has grown, we had to very quickly shift our focus um, into building up on our human uh, capital. Effectively, we had to shift from being doers uh, into managers, uh, mentors, right? And for us, uh, our founding team, we were extremely young. Uh, We had little to almost zero management uh, experience and really forced to learn on a job. Uh, In the early days, I remember it being extremely (laughs) Awkward to hire and be a boss, a manager to someone who had decades more experience to me, but you know, I, I speak from the shoes of a technologist today, age is, age is really but a number, it isn't something that we care about much now. Um, and who you are, you know, in the organization all boils down to how much you can bring to the table. So yeah, you could be a, a, a young school dropout, but you're a genius and you could be running a team here in Ninja, right? So yeah, I don't know. I mean, things have changed so much. Uh, it's gonna continue to change and, and I guess we just have to adopt change.
2: Um, then maybe based on what you shared, are there some kind of, ad- some pieces of advice you wanna give to, um, I can't say younger founders because you said age doesn't matter. So maybe um, founders at an earlier start of their journey, uh, they say, hey, if you really wanna build for scale, don't make these silly mistakes that we did or didn't do because of wisdom or luck or mentoring or okay. what can people put in mind to, if they really want to build for the long haul, you said talent is one of them. What else, if you really want to build for scale?
1: Yeah. 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 Okay. I mean, I, I don't consider myself an expert. I'm not a serial entrepreneur or anything. Uh, maybe we just got lucky, but okay, well I'll try I'll try anyway, uh, based on some key uh, principles that uh, I, I personally follow. So um, uh, maybe first, first of it, uh, I would like to uh, say is um, what I said before just now, r- focus on the people, right? Um, the, the company with the best people wins, um, hire and retain the very best people, right? Because after all, it is the people that make the company. Uh, the next for me would be um, yeah, setting, setting a crystal clear direction. Your vision, mission, values, uh, long-term goals, strategy—all you've got to get that aligned in your company, right? All your employees need to know and believe in what they are doing and fighting for, and uh, you don't want the organization to be pulled in so many different directions just just because there there isn't a clear goal. Um, the other one, um, hopefully this not this one's not too cliche, uh, disrupt or be disrupted. You know, uh, successful business leaders they challenge conventional wisdom. Uh, They have the courage to deliver new solutions. I mean, when Ninja came into existence, we we came in, we reinvented last mile logistics as as how we saw it to be, right? And and when we look around today at our close competitors, we see them copying things we do. And uh, to me, that's that's a good sign uh, that we're doing things correctly. Now, lastly, maybe uh, this is more from a lot of personal reading and um, more from a personal leadership perspective. I take this quote from Jeff Bezos, right? Uh, he said, admit you're wrong and be, enough, uh, be big enough to change your mind. So you may be the boss, you may be the leader, right? You may be the CEO, but guess what? You're not always correct. Remember that uh, you hired smart people uh, into your organization in the first place, and you've got to value their ideas, right? The smartest people are constantly um, revising their understanding, reconsidering a problem that uh, they thought they already solved, right? Yeah, I think that that's uh, about all. I you probably don't want to hear me blabber anymore.
2: I I think in my in my mind I can see a lot of people that are that have tuned in taking not just mental but actual notes on that. Thank you so much for sharing um, about your journey. So maybe then just a the last question and uh, uh, just a reminder to all attendees: please put your questions in the Q and A's function of Zoom, the Q&A function, not the chat function, because in the Q&A function you can actually also upvote your questions or see somebody else uh, put in a great question and you want that to be upvoted because we we, we look at the Q&A section, not the chat function. Sorry for, sorry for that. Uh, uh, public service announcement just want to make sure we get it right because we always get fantastic questions from the audience so maybe the last question how has the covid year been for for you is it just with like oh e-commerce up means your business up but can't find people to deliver or how do we have to imagine this year for from a business perspective
1: yeah yeah well well honestly and and uh, really luckily for us uh covid uh I don't want to say it's been a blessing but uh it, it's 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 been good uh, it says had a positive effect in uh, on our business but um really has pretty much been uh, business as usual for us um so look at it right uh first we've always had to deal with spikes in volumes during your usual sales campaigns you have your double singles day 12 12 actually nowadays you have everything right 10 10 9, 9, 8, 8. soon it'll be have, uh, happening every month um i guess the only difference with COVID uh was that you know when it when it when it came on uh, you had the mco you had the philippines lockdown you had the circuit breaker they, they came you know they got imposed without too much warning right so we didn't really have much time to prepare for it uh and it really ma- tested our metal and our ability to scale up our tech and operational resources because all of a sudden you had people you know having no choice but to stay at home uh, and ordering uh, ordering stuff to be delivered to them, right? So, um, sitting at home buying stuff online, uh, that once was really a convenience, but uh, it then became a necessity. So, so coming out of Circuit Breaker now, uh, the MCO, the lockdowns, uh, we, we do see that uh, the online buying patterns, they haven't really regressed so much. Uh, this is probably due to the fact that new customers have already experienced this convenience. Uh, they, they don't want to lose it, right? Um, uh, so, really moving to e-commerce uh, with the decline of retail debts, uh, it's not a matter of if, right? It's a matter of when it's and it's inevitable. Uh, and to me, COVID has really just accelerated uh, a lot of things. A lot of companies that were meant to die have died. Um, and yeah, I mean, we're thankful we're, we're in a good place.
0: Well, that's consistent with pretty much uh, a lot about what we're hearing around COVID accelerating this uh, digital disruption. And on to acceleration, we have the rapid fire questions.
2: Okay, so rapid fire is, uh, I'll I'll pose the same question to Sean and Aditi, and I basically just need to agree, disagree, yes, no, or a straight answer, yeah? Um, Let's just kick it off, and uh, Aditi, you answer first. Unicorn labels are just marketing and don't really matter until the actual exit. Agree, disagree? Disagree. Uh, Why? Just one sentence.
3: I think definitely uh, there's a lot that goes into reaching there. And that's essentially a testament of what, what you're constituted of.
1: Sean,
2: uh, yeah. label or substance?
1: Uh, don't, doesn't matter because uh, it's all about optics, right? To me, focus on the right things, core profitability, sustainability, uh, but take every opportunity you, you, you can to grow.
2: Okay, cool. Next question, um, Chinese or Indian unicorns provide a roadmap for Southeast Asia to follow? Yes, no. Sean?
1: Uh, I'll say no, every market has very different dynamics. Uh, you can learn from them, but don't necessarily think it's, you can just take it as a well-defined roadmap to follow.
3: Thank you. Aditi, you, you take? Uh, yes, I think uh, from a user perspective, at least from a design perspective, there's a ton of This inspiration
2: to go from there and last but not least um which will be the next southeast asian unicorn filing for ipo aditi what's your take
3: i was gonna say sean
2: take it first but
3: uh there's there's no way i'm not uh, rooting for ninja man and sean
2: there you go And I can expect what Sean is saying, so Sean-
1: No way I'm not rooting for Aditi and Grab as well, right? (laughs) (laughs) All right. Excellent. Go Grab. grab.
2: All right. (laughs) Over to you, Chris. And the
0: pitch. The pitch. So all our founders just love to uh, listen in on this section because what we really hear is we learn from the people with the money and how to get their attention and the people that have successfully pitched and to get an up-to-date view on what it takes to successfully get the money. So, Addity, the mission as your shop is to really look at how can a founder right-size, how can a founder actually get uh, your attention? Um, you know, what are some of the things that are very important that you're listening to from the founder when you consider their pitch and a potential engagement at Grab?
3: I think as moot as it sounds, I think first part is really getting the basics right, uh, which is which is the hygiene stuff, getting a clear articulation of what problem you're solving for how big the opportunity is, uh, what business model, how's this gonna make money, uh, put in a nice product demo, you'll be amazed at how many times there is not actually a product demo, put in a nice product demo, a good handle on financials and economics. I think just that basic right amazes, Beyond imagination, Uh, I think in addition to that, one thing that I really find valuable and thoughtful on a founder's part is uh, putting in why grab. Uh, It's always great to have that perspective and point of view of why this can be an interesting uh, partnership from both sides. I think some thought into that really leaves a great opportunity for discussion from there on.
0: Yeah, great. And within all that, it doesn't sound like it, but I want to check, are you trying to look out for anything different in 2020 because of COVID and I guess this digital acceleration? Is what you're looking from a pitch different now than say last year?
3: I think I can tell what I'm hearing different now versus last year. Uh, uh, One, I think uh, monetization is really front and center uh, now, which is actually great. Uh, I think last time you could just talk about a series A where you're going to pull in hundreds and thousands of uh, users, businesses in terms of traction and somewhere down the line, you're going to lend money to all of them and make money, right? Uh, I think you see much less of that. Uh, I think uh, the whole monetization is, is, is 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 an important topic even in the earlier stages. Uh, which is the which is the right way to build uh, sustainable businesses. So I think there is there's much more focus and attention on that. Uh, I think another interesting uh, difference that I see in twenty twenty is we are hearing a lot more of enterprise and B two B SaaS pitches, uh, which is actually great from our standpoint. Uh, because it seems to suggest that it is becoming clearer externally that we are not only a B2C platform, uh, but, but we have a huge ex- ecosystem on the B2B side as well, a whole, lo- whole lot of merchants, SMEs, uh, who, who we want to outserve as well. And, and for example, our Vietnam program has about 60% B2B tech. A lot of it focused on SMEs like medium scale pause, chatbot technology for SME businesses, like retail, fashion, et cetera. So, so I think that's, that, that's a big change. It's a welcome change and hope to see many more of those coming.
0: Great, so we're getting deeper and deeper into the economy. And Sean, uh, as a CTO, uh, you know, firstly, I'd say congratulations with $300 million. I really hope that's buying you a lot of chicken. Um, and as a CTO, uh, you know, you've been fundraising and part of that story from the beginning. Can you share with us as a CTO, you know, what's, uh, sort of changed in your time, uh, in the experience of fundraising from say the beginning to the end. And then second part to that is, you know, what would you recommend for CTOs to never lose touch of, uh, as they continue in their journey? Because obviously you've had a great one and uh, we'd like to hear your perspective.
1: Yeah, so um, <clears throat> lots have changed, right? Uh, you know, all of our roles—it uh, uh, gets uh, more and more defined. Um, and as the CTO, uh, my job is really to focus on the product, uh, focus on delivering um, value to the business, uh, focus on keeping it um, running twenty-four-seven without skipping a without skipping a heartbeat. Um, rewind that back to uh, six years ago. Uh, where we had to do, all of us had to do everything. Um, We've always had to be uh, super involved in every single pitch, right? I I had to be uh, there talking to all of our uh, potential Series A uh, investors. But, you know, uh, till today, uh, that's so much uh, more. I mean, we have a great team taking care of that uh, fundraising process, right? Um, But, you know, talking about um, our pitch, uh, how how we've been successful with, with that, um, it's about, you know, what, what do we tell our investors, right? It, it's really about uh, convincing them that um, we're all about technology and, and operational uh, excellence. That, that That's marrying tech and ops well for uh, success. When I, I, and again, I, again, always repeat sustainable uh, tech enabled uh, business, right? Um, we have we have to prove that our ops, our tech can scale. But everyone's always talked about scaling. Uh, that, that's just, uh, everyone just wants to scale. But let, let me talk about scaling responsibly um because wh- one way to acquire customers is to drop them huge discounts huge uh freebies but that's that's not always uh very sustainable because when when you run dry and um you, you can't uh give these customers that pricing anymore they they, they and, and your company goes under uh, these customers lose the benefits of your services right so uh, uh instead you've really got to focus on your product right just Keep a razor sharp uh, focus on on that thing, right? Prove out that your product is worth that value. Um, what 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 can I what advice can I give other CTOs? I, um, I I don't know really, but um, though always be uh, always be involved in uh, the business side of things. Don't stray too far, because I've also seen um, CTOs who uh, become uh, overly engrossed in in the tech and they lose sight uh, of the actual vision of the company, right? Um, yeah, I, 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 that, that's how I
0: feel, yeah. You know, it's really interesting. If, if we think about again, you know, the first set of startups, um, a lot of them were consumer focused. And if it wasn't something mission critical, let's say, uh, you know, discretionary e-commerce spend, right? The tech can break, that's okay. Uh, but fundamentally, you know, you've been a B2B business, uh, from the beginning. And of course, you know, all tech needs to work, but if your tech doesn't work, someone's actually business is failing. They're not actually able to earn an income, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Okay, great. So Lars, that brings us on to the questions.
2: Yeah, so we have some fantastic questions and some are already like, wow, um, I'm, I'm lucky that I'm not in your shoes, Sean and Aditi, because I wouldn't know how to answer them. Um, so so let, let's, let's start with the first one for, for Aditi maybe. Um, Bobby is asking, will Ninja Van and Grab start eating into each other's markets or is the market big enough for both of you?
0: Hi, Bobby, thanks for coming, mate. (laughs) We all know who, which Bobby this is.
3: (laughs) Hey, Bobby. I think, uh, keeping it super short, logistics uh, is a tremendously big, uh, I mean, without quoting the multi-billion numbers for Southeast Asia, an immensely big, really growing and a massive enabler across the markets Uh, and and, uh, the entire e-commerce boom, especially which is coming after the COVID pandemic is only going to accelerate it, right? It's it's really the lifeblood of digital economy, I would think, and also the infrastructure of countries. So I personally believe that the opportunity is way too big uh, for anyone to eat into anyone's share uh, there is opportunity for seven. I mean, there are different pools. You look at, look at last mile within last mile itself. There is, there's this whole element of express, uh, next day scheduled, uh, three to five day. There's a piece around warehousing. So I, I mean, the, even if you pick up one part in the value chain, uh, there are several different value propositions out there. Right. And Actually, that's also a reason why we partner because we very well understand that even within the last mile stay space this is not something we can do alone so for example when it comes to intracity uh, or when it comes to next day schedule that's where we look at partners like Van to support us in that capability for example so fulfill the needs of social sellers so in short uh, it's really big hairy problem and it'll
2: take many, many people to solve it. Um, Sean, I'm not throwing the same question at you, more a little bit like moving it around because um, we know that um, there are different ways of, of doing delivery, um, uh, like in, in your industry, some are trying to use the, uh, the grab model um, for, for last mile versus you have your dedicated network that you're building. And Lance, Lance Crack is asking the question, um, traditionally, the logistics space is a very capex intense business. Because if you have your own dedicated network and infrastructure, it just costs a lot of money. So what's the key lesson you've learned when scaling your business in this traditionally capex intense business uh, area or industry?
1: Yeah, yeah. It's a very, very good question because um, actually very early on in, you uh, know, series A, uh, days uh, actually Kwai who was on the, on this show um i think two two episodes ago, right uh, away um he was um actually cons- asking us to consider if uh, um a SaaS model or a platform model would work out right uh but that that's not the route we went uh because um what we felt uh was in order to really um Get down to the kind of unit uh, economics that uh, we are we are being able to achieve today in terms of like your cost per parcel, right? Uh, you really need to have assets because it's all about an optimization game, right? Uh, and and coming back to that uh, the, the the previous question which uh, already really answered very well um, logistics. There's many 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 different kind of segments and we're just looking at uh, the optimization uh, option of a. Uh, 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 next day, three days, um, right? It's very, very, very different from on demand. Uh, And for us in order to do that optimization, we have to be uh, quite Capex intensive, right? So what then is the key lesson? Um, It comes back down to what I said just now about revenue and operational sustainability. Um, You have to be very, very, very careful uh, that you are building a business that you're not losing money per delivery, right? So it goes down to visibility. Um, if you are having uh, um, huge failure rates, how do you actually uh, tweak your operations so that you can optimize that? Because uh, failures are expensive for us, right? Uh, losses of parcels, damages of parcels, claims that cost a lot of money if you, if you can't get that down to a very uh, good percentage, right? So um, what we've really learned is uh, be aware of these numbers, right, uh, control it well, um, harness, harness data, to ensure that uh, you're going in the right direction. So um, yeah, that's our approach at least.
2: So, So what you said is, yes, for your business model, you need to own the infrastructure, otherwise you can't really optimize enough and then you can't really drive down the per unit costs. For your business model with tech, extremely important, otherwise you don't have the visibility to quickly adjust where you need to, right?
1: Yes, yes. But uh, when, when we talk about infrastructure, we're just looking at those uh, fixed assets like uh, the sort centers, right? But when it comes to like your fleet, your vehicles, that you might not need to own. And it, it uh, depend, depends on uh, which market you're in and, and the economics of it.
2: Yeah, I, remember, I, I worked in, in a previous life uh, for, for DHL. And we always had the saying, we don't want to be an airline because it's extremely expensive. <laughs> <laughs> And
0: uh, thank you so much, Janice Lim from Google Accelerator from joining us today. And uh, Janice, I would like to invite you, Sean, uh, to uh, be a speaker at their next event in relation to (laughs) machine learning that they're building on, that you guys are building on Google Cloud. So, um, Sean, thanks for coming to our party. And at our party, we support all our friends. And uh, Aditya, I might just get into this because you had something which I thought was brilliant. And um, I'm not going to let you get away with it. Um, Sean, when you talk about, you know, optimizing and delivery of this platform, this deep tech platform, uh, and making sure everything right, um, Aditi, you had a very good question for Sean, which I will let you ask and not steal. <laughs>
3: yeah, uh, actually, I think that is that's something everyone might uh, love to hear about. Uh, going back to the ecosystem approach, Sean, what how does Ninjaman look at it? Uh, I think your genesis is logistics, but how do you see that branching out into into a logis- in, into an ecosystem play, if you will?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, very, very, very good question. I mean, uh, look at it, right. We, we, we started off, uh, just doing last mile. Um, and I actually draw a lot of parallels to what you guys, uh, started off, right. You started off, um, as a taxi, uh, company, and then you created this new thing, right. Hailing. Um, so, uh, likewise, likewise, uh, we, we, we look at logistics, we look at last mile, um, kind of like, uh, uh, as a means to an end. Um, we we, we want to build up our network, right? We want to get to the stage where we say, hey, uh, we have a ninja um, within five minutes of wherever you are, right? Whether you're in the jungles, up in the mountains, and, and with that network, there's so much we can do. Now, what are we doing then uh, today? We so um, yeah, besides just doing the last mile uh, logistics, we actually work very, very closely with our customers, uh, uh, our shippers, and uh, generally the idea is uh, we wanna help them uh, uh, with their operational processes uh, so they can focus their resources on doing what they should be doing, which is, which is selling, right? So um, for us consumers, when we're buying something online, actually we don't really see a lot of the stuff that goes on behind the scenes um, and for instance right they spend a lot of time on on the procurement process dealing with suppliers and a lot of these suppliers they come from like China, Thailand so it's very difficult because uh, a lot of them might not speak the language there can be a lot of misunderstandings uh, there's a huge amount of hassle uh, with payments you know uh, uh, the FX, uh, the, the cross-border import uh, process um, uh, adding on to that and, and I say this with the exception of Singapore, uh, in the countries where we operate in Southeast Asia, it's actually uh, the cross border and importation laws are extremely, extremely opaque. Right? We don't know whether we can import something. There's a lot of things you've got to understand about like HS codes and stuff. And uh, this could all result in shipment delays and uh, it could be very expensive to, to clear these shipments out of uh, the customs, right? So. Uh, apart from last mile, we've, uh, we're starting to move upstream as well. So we've come up with a suite of services. And, and um, this is just an example. Uh, we have something called Ninja Direct. Uh, and what this aims to do is solve all these problems for our shippers. Uh, it's an end-to-end service um, where we help our sellers source the products, right? um, pay for it. So we, we can even give them a, a better uh, FX rates. Right? And then finally, the, uh, the fulfillment and last mile delivery. There's more than that as well. So there are a lot of ancillary products that we're offering around that, for instance, uh, offering them extended uh, credit terms, since we're we're paying for uh, their suppliers for the goods, right? And it's very, we did our our studies, right? It's actually a very huge benefit for a lot of our customers because um, we we found out that cash flow actually was quite a huge bottleneck uh, for how much uh, sales they could make because they didn't have enough cash uh, to buy new stock, especially in countries like Indonesia, where everything's all cash on demand, the huge uh, unbanked population, right? So if you look at NinjaVan, yeah, uh, the consumer might look at us as a, as a delivery company, just like how the consumers before you guys became a super looked at uh, uh, looked at you as a, just a taxi company, right? But you have so many other things up your sleeves. Okay. Awesome.
3: Great to see you wearing the product hat, Sean.
1: <laughs> um- <laughs> we have to do all this, man.
2: A question for for both of you that comes from the audience, I want to combine them. Um, One question is, um, how important is it to have the right mentor when you scale? Um, And and the other one, could you sum up your company culture in a sentence? Company culture in a sentence and uh, how important are mentors to scale? Aditi, you were asking the question, now you have to answer too. Sure. Uh, I think you, you can read up about it, but, but Grab essentially
3: operates by four edges what we call four edges hunger, humility, uh, uh, honor, and oh my God, this had to happen. Where is, well, what is a force edge? Uh, oh, hunger, humility, honor, and. Uh,
2: Excellence would fit in. Excellent,
3: but... but 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 let me let me let me bring up the summary of it. I think the big part which I feel uh, motivates a lot of people, talented people, to say is uh, what is what what we look at as servant leadership, uh, and and it is tremendously role modelled internally by the leaders uh, at at Grab, and 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 I think that's something that inspires people to doing, like to keep sticking around through the tough periods, especially as uh, some of the early periods that Sean mentioned, right? I think in the second question, mentor, I think not one mentor, but many. Uh, uh, because the problems in the early stage of businesses just come in different shapes and forms. Uh, and that's what we try to do through our programs as well.
2: Okay. Sean, then for you, um, you know uh, the Ninja Van culture in one sentence, and uh, the importance of uh, of mentors maybe in two sentences. Yeah. Uh, so
1: one sentence, or so maybe I'll just <laughs> I'll just uh, copy what I did it. So we have we have, uh, we have uh, three values. That, uh, it's uh, delivering on promises, right? Uh, learn and develop, uh, lean towards action, right? But if you try to ask me to sum it up, uh, and what's most important to me, uh, we are very innovation-driven. Uh, we, we like people to uh, speak up, right? be nosy, uh, uh, tell us uh, if we're doing something wrong and we, there's a better way to do it, talk about it right? and, and try to drive it in the organization. Um, mentors, uh, well, my, for me uh, and, and my, my co-founders, uh, we had very little experience when we came into this uh, and uh, mentorships were, uh, yeah, they were super helpful, especially from our investors, uh you know, Koi, our uh, series B, Series C investors. Um and there's so much to learn, especially when uh, you don't have too much uh, too much experience.
0: Right? Oh, sounds yeah. like we need to have Koi back. He's the man.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and you know, it's just wonderful to have you both. Adity, uh, I really love that you know, in relation to China and India, Southeast Asia is incredibly diverse and actually in many ways, much more of a complex market. Sean, uh, it's so true. People only see the success stories. They don't know the hardship. And um, Janice, uh, you know, Sean's my kind of guy. Janice, just make sure you have plenty of KFC for when you invite him to Google. Okay. Uh, So I'd like to wrap up at Southeast Asia Connect. We're just simply delighted to be here for our technology entrepreneurs and investors. And Our next uh, episode uh, will be on the next billion users are actually merchants with Fave. Uh, Today was a wonderful discussion. If we think about the next breed of unicorns, it seems to be more B2B focused, more entrenched in the economy. Uh, The technology is as important as ever. And what's emerging is more sustainable business models the wonderful story here is rather than just pure binary competition, it also seems to be an element of uh, a lot of collaboration and uh, ways of uh, actually coexisting in a market that seems to be growing. And if we think about what's really important comparing to the China and India story that we can learn from, is really this challenge of being regional uh, with a unified culture and and looking at being hyper-local, which all brings us back to that wonderful human story uh, all over again. So you can also find us at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. Thank you so much for listening in. Here, we are here to support our entrepreneurs as they harness technology to solve today's problems and create a better tomorrow for us all. I'm Chris Tran, signing off. Lars?
2: Thank you everybody. And uh, as, as uh, Sean said, disrupt or be disrupted. Thank you everybody. Thanks Sean, thanks Aditi. Thank, Thank you, you everybody. So much.
3: Thanks for having us.
0: Thank you for coming. Thank you. Bye. guys.